Hey everyone, Matthew Bivens here. And before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about a free new tool that I've created to help you experience more abundance and love in your life. The tool is called the Abundance Benchmark. And you can get it again for free right now, right this second at matthewbivens.com. Now, the Abundance Benchmark is all about feedback. It's going to give you powerful insights into how you're showing up in six key areas of your life, faith, family, friends, fitness, finance, and fun. Now, here's the heavy part. Neglecting any one of those areas or doing the opposite and overextending yourself in any one of those areas leads to feelings of being incomplete, unfulfilled, overwhelmed, out of touch, and just a general feeling of lacking or depression. And none of those feelings jive with creating the life that you were meant to live. So grab the tool, use it. Again, it's 100% free and you will get some feedback on how you're showing up in life along with actionable advice, action steps on how you can improve your weak areas. So head over to my website. Again, that's www.matthewbivens.com and get your abundance benchmark today. Welcome to Having It All. My name is Matthew Bivens, and each week I bring you conversations and insights that explore the question, what does having it all mean to you? My goal is to leave you with stories you can relate to and messages you can take action on so that you can create an abundant, loving life. I am so excited that you're here to hang out with me today. Now, let's jump right into this episode. My guest today is Phaedra Koenig. Phaedra is known as America's crisis coach, and she helps people tap into their greatness to move through life's crappy circumstances. Phaedra is a coach, she's a speaker, she's an author, and she's also the host of the podcast, Coming Out of the Fire. Now, if you visited Phaedra's website, then you're probably picturing her wearing very professional, awesome clothes with a beautiful necklace, just looking great. But when I picture Phaedra, I see something a little bit different. I see blue spandex, and a big yellow and red S across her chest because Phaedra is a super woman. Her story alone will just move you to the core. However, it's how she's transformed herself and the attitude that she has on life, as well as how she helps other people that have truly, truly moved me. So without further delay, I want to welcome Phaedra to the show this morning. Phaedra, how are you being today? I am being in awe of you. That was a magnificent introduction. I am just so humbled and just so happy and proud to be being today. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Um, I am. I was just blown back by your story and by who you are and how I've experienced you. So um, the uh, the intro was just a, a small glimpse of of my gratitude and the awe that I have. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, it's mutual gratification. Gratification. Oh, I can't. I'm stumbling on my words already. See, <laughs> look what you did to me. <laughs> That's awesome. We're starting off on a great note. I like it. I like it. Um, so I do want to kick things off by just jumping into your work, because I think the work that you do is fascinating, um, particularly the niche that you've carved out and how you describe yourself. So can you tell me and listeners a little bit more about what it is that you do? 
Yeah, I would say the nutshell would be bold crisis management. Um, there's a few ways that I deliver services, one of which is I work with celebrities, professional athletes, and high achievers who are going through the worst times of their lives. I come alongside them. I help them solve problems. We tackle whatever it is that they're facing so they can get back to it and what they're doing. Another way that I help people is entrepreneurs in particular. I love working with them. And I help them when they have focused a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of effort in very targeted coaching. Maybe they've hired business coaches or speaking coaches or writing coaches. And after they spent all that money and taken in all that information, they still don't have the results that they expected. I help them figure out why. So those are the two playgrounds that I really, really love to play in. And they're based off of a 22-year work experience. I worked in the fields of social work, family court services, and mental health. So I've worked with thousands of people who have lived in crisis. I've sold, uh, solved so many problems. It's just such a humbling experience, the, the work experience that I have had. And I absolutely love helping people when their life sucks. Basically, I say life sucks. I make it suck less. Mm, wow. I, I definitely can uh, can relate. I've had those experiences of life when it just kind of slaps you upside the head and you kind of are left feeling like, what do you, what do, you do now? Um, right. How did you get into this work uh, in the first place? It was a natural evolution. I started, um, when, I, when I grew up, I grew up in a very difficult way. I was very abused as a child and I lived a life that was pretty traumatic. And when I came out of it, one of the benefits that I had going for me is I had a fairly high intellect and going to college was just going to happen. I had decided as a young child that people who had college educations got to have air conditioning and heating. And that was why I was going to go to school. And as funny as that sounds, that really was all that I could make of what happens when you go to college. Mm. When I went to college, it was a natural fit that I took a first uh, psychology class and a lot of Th bells and whistles started going off for me that this is a good place for me to be. So I started studying social work and psychology. Now, where I lived in a very rural part of Northern California, the good jobs, so to speak, were really county and government work. So it was a natural fit for me to go into mental health, social work, family court services. And that's where I started. Now, aside from that, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I think even though I was working, quote, underneath somebody, I carved out my own niche within it. So I was able to do things that lit my fire and were a, a good fit for my natural talents. And my natural talents were speaking, writing, engaging, and leading. So I started to do those things even outside of work. I started blogging before it was a thing and I got some really great traction with that. And I went through a really traumatic divorce when my kids were in third and sixth grade. And I really wanted to dig deep and understand myself better. So I upped my own game as far as polishing off a lot of the rough edges that I had that were residual from when I was a child. And by doing that and blogging and talking and doing these other things, I started to create a brand outside of my brick and mortar work. And then it became possible for me to go online with what I was doing. And I was able to bring what I call social work crisis management to the online world. And I could start working with entrepreneurs or everyday people or what have you. 
later on in about 2008, I went through another personal crisis that was very, very intense. And because of that, I came to my own end, even though I had all these tools, all this education, all these years of helping people, I was going through a personal crisis that took me to the brink. And when it did, I had to dig really, really deep because I felt like I only had a couple options, one of them being suicide. And I knew I didn't want that to be one of my options. So I figured it out and I solved problems at a magnitude and a level that most people don't have to. I mean, I resonated with Olivia Pope from Scandal, right? We fix it. Mm. So once I was able to do that, then I really had a skill set that I could use with upper echelon, people who are going through really, really tough stuff. And that's when my business took this turn to bold crisis management. And it's been, it's been amazing. I work with amazing people. A lot of it is word of mouth. Once I released the podcast, it was back in December. It's been even the momentum is just really going. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. So you have experience personally of going through basically bold crisis and that has uh, equipped you to be able to then guide other people through similar situations. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Now, what... Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at I, I do have a question that when you when you've talked about coaching other people in crisis situations, one of the first things that came to my mind was how are you able to manage yourself being in this type of environment? Meaning, how do you keep yourself replenished and, and make sure that the energy of the circumstance that your clients are going through doesn't wear on you and then pull you back down to that place that you've been in the past? That's an excellent question. It really is conscientious. We learn this very early on when we are in the field in social work, because as you can imagine, we see horrific, horrific things. And we have to engage with families who are doing unimaginable things to one another. And some people don't have the skills to manage that. However, those of us who do it well, we learn how to I hate to, I don't I don't really love the word balance but in this context I think balance is is appropriate. We learn how to balance our on-duty and off-duty selves and we learn to have outlets that allow us to shake off that energy or shake off that imagery. Sometimes it's having wise counsel, someone to talk to, someone to process with. Sometimes it's having an outlet which could be um, for me, it would be physical, running, um, getting my heart rate up, getting the endorphins in my brain moving. Um, it's important to have a transition because you have to compartmentalize what's going on. You have to have really good boundaries. You have to have amazing self-esteem. You have to have the ability to love people and yet not tolerate their crap because people in crisis are suffering and they're going to act out and they're going to say things that they don't mean. So you have to be able to compartmentalize many things. And that's what will make you successful if you're working in this field. And it makes me think of, you know, there are people I know listening who have jobs where they just step into the environment and it's just the toxic environment in general. 
And again, I'm not saying that the environment that you work in is a toxic environment, but if you aren't equipped with the things that you are equipped with, I imagine you can take a lot of that home with you. Yeah. You made me think of a really specific thing. When I was in my younger years, I was probably 26 and I'm 47 now. I remember making a really conscientious choice and it was, it changed the course of my entire career. So I'll share that with you if you think that would be valuable. Yes, absolutely. So I was basically what we call a case manager. So I was a line staffer. I didn't have any authority. Um, I had not the lowest of the low job, but probably two clicks above that. And I worked with wonderful people. However, at that level, there's a emotional, um, what we call EQ that isn't super, super high. So I worked in an office with people who really love to gossip. They really love to, um, milk out working and, and take time for themselves. And I was in that environment. And I remember it was a new year's Eve resolution that I decided I was no longer going to engage in that behavior. So I came back to work after the new year's break and I was changed. I acted different. I operated differently. And it meant that I wasn't engaging in those behaviors. Now for me, there was fallout because I started to seem like a traitor. And a lot of the people um, who wanted me to engage with them were getting angry that I wasn't doing that. But here's what started to happen. I started getting promotions. I started being noticed. I started to have more self-esteem. I started to like my job better and I stopped being so negative. Mm. Now, what was interesting was years later, the one woman, she was a nurse who really, really gave me not only a hard time to my face, but behind my back. She actually wrote me a letter apologizing. And I think she was probably going through like a 12 step program and she was making amends. Oh, wow. But, you know, in the moment, I didn't know that I was going to impact her in a positive way. And in the moment, I didn't know that she realized what she was doing to me was wrong. In the moment, it was really hard to push back against knowing I was doing what was right, but paying a social consequence for it. Mm. So I would just tell people that if you are going into a toxic environment like that, Think about your future. Think about what you really, really want and act as if you're already there. That really changed my entire career. Wow. And you mentioned the consequence of of making that shift. And I think that people experience that type of consequence, whether it's, you know, making that conscientious shift that you did or healing through traumas or just growth in general, where you the circles that you were once a part of, um, you no longer really fit or the conversations that they have, you no longer want to be a part of. And so the consequence of that is like you experience that pushback. People start to reject the person that you are becoming. And um, how did you how did you manage that? Because I think for a lot of folks, that can be an easy uh, excuse to kind of go back to those old disempowering patterns when the folks around you are are telling you, you know, what are you doing? You've you've changed. Yeah. So the key is when you face those social consequences and people start to pull away, it creates a void. So that void needs to be filled. And that's where you fill it with, you know, we've heard that cliche, we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. Well, we're also the sum of the five books we read, the sum of the five podcasts we listen to, the sum of the five foods that we eat, the sum of the five ways that we recreate. So when that void starts to develop because of the social um, pressure or people moving away from you, fill that with the higher, better thing that you want in your life. And it will start to become normal. 
Mm. When you mentioned, when you were talking about this, and now that you mentioned books, you remind me of a, a book that is um, something that I turn to very frequently. It's called Power Verse Force by David Hawkins. Have you heard of that book before? I have, absolutely. Yeah, and so the scale of consciousness. Yes. And as, as you start to elevate and go higher on that scale, um, you know, things shift. And uh, it's just so important to recognize that's a, that's a consequence of it. And, yes. um, you know, I love how you talk about when those openings do happen, when those gaps uh, are open, making sure that you're filling them with powerful material, whether it's people or books or podcasts, whatever it is, making sure that it's raising your overall energy as opposed to uh, reducing or, or sucking your overall energy. Yeah. And I love what you said about the word consequence. People think of that as a negative connotation. Yeah. But if we really think about it through, there's what we call natural and logical consequences. So the natural and logical consequence of eating right, exercising and filling your brain with positive information is you become awesome. It's a consequence, right? The natural logical consequence of making poor choices is you become less awesome. So consequence put in that context really helps us see that it's not a negative term. Uh, I love that context. Um, I have this mantra that I, I started reciting to myself years ago, back when I was going through some uh, relationship kind of ups and downs with the, funny enough, the woman who, who I'm now married to, um, I would recite, be awesome. Just be awesome. So the fact that you use that word, a huge smile jumped on my face when you said that. Oh, I'm glad. So let's go back to um, the work that you do. And in actually, I'll, I'll, I'll say this first before I ask my question. Um, you have this amazing video on the homepage of your website. And for everyone listening, um, go visit Phaedra's website. I have a link to it in the show notes. And I'm also going to uh, is the video is the video just live on your website or does it live anywhere else that I can link out to? The easiest way is the website and okay. doing life with Phaedra. Yeah. Okay. So check out the show notes. Go watch this video. Um, it's fantastic. And it just talks about um, Phaedra's story and it's it's a powerful, powerful video. So in there, you talk a little bit about, a little bit about your work and you say that um, anyone can overcome anything if they have the right tools, the right people and the right community. So can you talk to me a little bit about why these ingredients are so key when when overcoming life's adversities? They go hand in hand. There's a synergy. It's a trifecta. If you have the right tools, but you don't have the right people or don't have the right community, it's very hard to use the tools. It'd be like having tools and nothing to actually hack on or saw on or whatever. If you have people, but you don't have tools, you know, and we could go down and down and down. So having the three of them is really the key. And I know for myself in my story, I had tools and I had some people, but I didn't have community. And so when I was suffering, it was really, really hard for me. And to give you guys context, and it does tell you in my video, but what happened for me was in 2008, I was dating someone. Um, we later became married through the course of this experience, but he was being accused by the state of a white collar crime. And it was very, very political. And I don't have a lot of time to like defend what was going on, but what ended up happening was they put him in jail for two and a half years trying to get him to take a deal. When he wouldn't do that, they had to let him out and prepare for trial. He was home for about a year and a half, went to trial for six months. But in the course of that, you have to understand, they took away our income, our house, our um, 
reputations. Uh, it wow. was brutal, brutal. Plastered us all over the national news. It was really, really hard. And he fought and he ended up with a public defender. That's how much they took away, not even our ability to have our own attorneys. And he lost. And when that happened, it got worse because then they threw the book at him and gave him a 43-year sentence. So essentially the rest of his life. When that happened, I became collateral damage and I got blackballed in my industry. Um, a lot of friends who did believe in us, it's like, well, if the, if the verdict's guilty, it must mean he's a bad person. Mm. And if you're deciding to stay with him, you're either stupid or you don't deserve support because you made your own bed. You need to lie in it. And I lost it because I couldn't work. I didn't have friends. I was just at my own wits end and all the tools that I had, they didn't fit. Right. So I had to get new tools and I did, but before I could get those tools, what I had to get was community. That's what was missing for me. Now, when we talk about that void, I was a social outcast and I had this online presence, but I'm talking about really being an outcast in my local geographical community. What happened for me is I got really, really small. And if you spend any time around me, you know that I have a 10 foot tall personality. I'm Greek. I'm very demonstrative. I love everybody. And I have a lot of energy. So to be small was painfully hard. And that's when suicide became one of my options. I didn't want to do that, but it was almost like, thank God I have that choice but I didn't want to go there. So what happened for me is I dug deep and I got into community. And, um, when that void happened where my friends vacated, I filled it by going to a very, very high level mastermind with multi six figure women. And I went and I told my story and I waited for them to say what everybody else in my life had been saying, which was, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know that there's any way out of this because mm. that's all I'd been hearing. But that's not what happened. When I filled my void with those type of women, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have been watching you on social media. You are incredibly strong. You are incredibly powerful. And back at that time, my brand was America's divorce coach. I was very well known in uh, pop culture under that brand. And one of the women in the room said, you know, you really aren't a divorce coach because I've seen you in multiple crisis situations helping people. You are America's crisis coach. And when I shifted and widened my niche just by one word, everything changed. And I no longer felt ashamed of my situation. That's when the video was made. And I was basically putting it out there. It's like, if you want to reject me after you hear that story, that's fine. But at least I don't have to explain it to every single person I meet. And the opposite happened. People started reaching out to me saying, oh, my gosh, that happened to us. Or, oh, my gosh, that happened to my son. Or, hey, this other tragic thing happened, and I feel like you'd understand me. So it was a big shift for me. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Now, what, what took place inside of you internally, emotionally, mentally, when you went from not having the community to then taking the step to go and, and, and seek out that community. Because I think a lot of people, when they're facing a situation, um, they go to those tools that they have and they might just go in circles using the tools they have. But what you did is you sought something higher. You sought, you sought out something else that you realized you were missing. Yeah. So here's the deal. When I got into community, that's when I was able to have a conversation. Once I had the conversation and I had the validation, 
from people I could respect that life wasn't as bad as I thought it was, I was able to borrow some of their courage until I could develop my own again. Mm. I was so beat down. And the reason that I do what I do and have the podcast that I have is because I understand the term shame on you. Like I never understood that before when someone puts shame on you, it's incredibly painful because you don't necessarily agree. And yet when people decide that it's a fact, that's very, very hard for our psyche to handle. And I didn't know how to operate feeling like I was who I thought I was, but then people were looking at me and putting this judgment on me. So I had to learn how to number one, not care. Number two, allow that not everybody was going to agree and I was still going to be okay. And the biggest thing, was I realized I was no longer obligated to own your opinion of me. It didn't matter. And once I got that courage, then I started to, do, to really kind of take out the tools that I already had and sharpen them again, because really the tools that I had served me, I just didn't know it. But it was the community piece first. The community is your anchor and it's your sounding board and it's your way to um, have conversations where you can make intellectual decisions and then start taking action. Mm, as opposed to making those emotional decisions that can then lead to all sorts of different types of consequences. Well, and like you said, going in circles in your own head, because yeah. you've come to the end of what you know how to do. You need a neutral person that is not in your stew to look at it and go, well, you know, I see what you're saying, but how about this? Right. And, and you can start to look at it through a different set of eyes and kind of not just filter it through your own filter. Mm. And it reminds me of what you were talking about earlier with um, the environments and making sure that we're placing ourselves in environments that are high energy because it's easy to jump into a community of people who are going to allow you to play the victim role or who are going to, you know, turn the blame on you. But that's not going to serve you in, in rising above the circumstance. No. And what you're describing, I talk about groups. There are two types of groups, high functioning and low functioning. So low functioning groups are all about commiserie. They're people who are all stuck trying to say, gee, ain't it awful enough to where other people are just like, yeah, man, yeah, man. That justifies why you don't have to take any action. Yeah. Gee, ain't it mm -hmm. awful. And a lot of times that those are low functioning groups are like AA and a, um, they're just there for commiserate. The high functioning groups are there with the expectation that there's a time and a place to share the issue, but that the main focus is about solving problems. And if you can't get to that place, you're not a good fit for that group. So you want to be among the higher functioning groups where people have an expectation that this is going to pass. We are here to move through this situation, not stay in it. What, where would you send somebody who's looking for that type of, that type of high functioning group? Because I think, you know, most people listening, if, you, if they're not already a part of a high functioning group like that, they might be nodding their heads saying, yeah, that would be a great thing for me to join. But where do you find, you know, what would your advice to be for somebody who's looking for that, but doesn't even know where to go? I would, I would suggest that they get in touch with me or someone like me because coaching is being in a group. Mm. It really is. It's a good place to start because you need somebody who is qualified, 
who is not going to be shocked or stumped by what you've got going on and then can help you expand your support. I believe that people do well if they start one-on-one with somebody, because if you go to a group, then you're bouncing up against all those personalities and all their filters and their issues. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to get laser focused on getting through a situation, I would suggest you start with a counselor or a coach, which are different. Sometimes they work hand in hand. Um, and just depending on what your heart is and what you're, how you like to take action. Once you've done that, um, and maybe your listeners already have, then when you go to groups, I would go to those higher functioning situations. So they're going to, they're probably going to be paid. You're not, if you get on Facebook and you just keyword in, you know, support groups for whatever, you're probably going to find commiserate. But if you have to put some skin in the game, you're likely going to get support and service because paid groups are really designed to give you something for your money where a free group, um, or what I call those low functioning groups, they're really just about, uh, it's almost like a place for people in misery to go. And that's radically different. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in larger groups, especially you can hide out, you know, you can be a part of a large group, but not contribute and not, not, be given feedback and and not heal anything. You can, but you can still be a part of a group. And um, I've I've absolutely seen that myself. And I personally am, have been a part of a, a small accountability group um, for a little over two years now. And it's um, for those who've listened to other episodes of the podcast, you've heard me talk about it. It's just one of those things that I, I attribute a lot of my healing and transformation to the fact that um, I have been a part of the, one of those high functioning groups, as you put it. I love that. And you using the term accountability. So what I love about that is a support group is really just there, like-minded people in a like situation trying to love on one another, but an accountability group or a group where it's solution focused, I think you can even hear in the terminology how really the, the focus and the outcome is dramatically different. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, because the, the accountability piece, um, it's it's being held to that standard. It's being held to your own greatness. And, and I like to use the, the terms playing big or playing small. And, you know, it's easy to be in a group of people who are patting your back and, and enabling you and helping you to play small. But when you tell yourself that you are ready to play big, you know, the universe is going to serve you up some circumstances that's basically going to say, okay, prove it. And being a part of a group that's going to hold you to that and, uh, and, and, and be compassionate, but at the same time, not let you sink into your own BS, I think is so, so powerful. I love what you're saying. And the thing that jumped out at me when you said it was if people are patting you on the back, it's probably because they don't have a skill set to help you rise higher. Mm. So they don't know what to do. So they don't say anything. But if you're in an accountability group and you've picked it wisely where your gifts complement somebody else's. So you have a, a, a strength where they maybe have a deficit and likewise, they have a strength where you have a deficit. Then when you try to go there, they're not going to be stumped and they're going to demand that you rise higher because they're going to offer you a solution. Yeah. So if you're in a group where nobody's offering or showing you a new way to think, you're probably not in the right group for you. Mm. You know, this this is funny. I'm having a realization as we're talking that almost all of my guests are a part of some type of group. And almost all of my guests, whether they are coaches themselves, have some sort of coach. And I think that's just so it's it's indicative of people who are playing bigger games in life and who are who are really clear on their on what what their greatness is and are going after it the fact that they are part of 
high functioning accountability groups and they are seeking coaching or, or being mentored by, by someone else. Yeah. To me, having a coach and being a part of groups, sometimes I'm mentoring down, sometimes I'm being mentored to, to, and it's always evolving. Mm. What I liken that to is think about being back in school and you read books and then you graduated and some people never read a book again, but then there are others who keep learning and keep learning and keep learning. Well, it's the same thing. Those of us who are really powerful in coaching professions, or if we have an influence, we're influencers with our content, we're constantly also being influenced. And that's so vital. I never, ever want to be not in a group and I don't ever want to always be the leader of a group. I want want to be challenged and I want to be plugging into the wisdom that's out there. And sometimes the people I'm plugging into are 20 years younger than me. I mean, it's just fascinating. Yeah. I think that's, that's the case in my, in my group. Uh, My wife and I are the two youngest in the group and, you know, the ages span from the twenties up into the fifties. And it's just amazing. You know, I could sit there and say, well, I don't have much to offer because I don't have um, the same or as many life experiences, but that's not really the case because, in a lot of time, in a lot of instances, the things that I experience in life, you know, I'm simply a, a a conduit for the message for whatever it is, and people can take a lot away from what I've gone through and what I have to say, and vice versa. So um, that was one of the things that was debunked quickly for me when I stepped into a high functioning group that was full of people who were all different ages. I love what you're saying. My children are all in their 20s now. And I have such an amazing relationship with each one of them. Mm. And it's such a, at a different level because now they're adults and they live on their own and they've been through college and they've had businesses and they're doing different things. And of course we have our family history, but I like my kids. We have these intellectual conversations and they teach me things all the time, that millennial stuff that they've learned because they've been under fresh leadership with professors and fresh understanding of how social, uh, social media and social, how we do things works. And I absolutely would be, you know, stupid not to plug into the vast, amazing amount of knowledge that they have. Mm, That's, uh, that's great that you're taking advantage of that. Yeah. So since you mentioned your kids, you also mentioned earlier about influencing people and being influenced and influencing others. Um, who is it that you want to be for your kids because they're watching you and they're watching the choices that you make. They're watching who you are being. So who is that person that you want to be for your kids? I have always had the same goal, even though as they've matured and they go into different developmental stages, my goal always remained at the, remained the same. And it really goes back to my own childhood and what was missing and what I think is the key component of being a great parent. And that is to be predictable and consistent. So mm. no matter what happens to me, and especially going through the situation that I did with my husband, they watched him be predictable and consistent. They have seen him even as he's in prison right now. Um, be predictable and consistent and powerful and showing them that no matter what has come our way, I don't hide anything about the impact it's having, but I don't go, you know, crazy with it either. I'm predictable and I'm consistent. And I want to be that way in every area of my life. I want to be that way when I model it to them and how I eat and how I 
am socially um, active and, and my sense of community and my business and my parenting, I want them to go, oh, we know if you do A to our mom, this is what's going to happen. And there's such comfort that comes in knowing that this person is so dependable and so predictable that we feel that we can take risk and we can be honest and we can be um, amazing as their children because we know they've got that stability and then they can pay that forward to their own kids. Mm, absolutely. I'm glad I asked that question because I just wrote that down. Predictable <laughs> and consistent. All right. My, uh, my wife and I are expecting our first child later on this year. So, um, you know, I, I've been thinking of questions like that myself. Like, who do I oh, want to be as a parent? Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I did in my own healing process was I took every child development and human development class that I could get my hands on. Mm. And it really changed my life. And I'll have to tell you, it made me such a good parent. And I, I know I probably sound arrogant, but one of the <laughs> things, if you were going to put it on my tombstone... I am a great mom. Mm, My kids got the best mom that, that I could be. And it was through conscientious decisions. So yeah, I'm awesome. I'm so proud of you that you're asking those sorts of questions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, hearing someone say that I'm a great mom, you know, I I think people want to play down the aspects of themselves in a lot of, um, in a lot of situations that, they might they might judge and they might think other people judge but i love the fact that you own that you say no i'm a freaking great mom and you know it and and your kids know it and i imagine you take that sort of that confidence and that stance and that that belief in yourself and saying bold things about yourself into other areas of your life and i think that's such a a, a powerful thing to do Thank you. I, I wish I'm going to be super honest. I don't think I take it into every era of my life, but I'm just sitting here thinking about my kids. I have an adult daughter with a disability and she lives independently. And that in and of itself is freaking amazing. Yeah. And then I have a daughter who wanted to be a professional athlete. And I remember being in her um, high school um, counselor's office and he starts giving her all these reasons why that's nearly impossible. Mm. And I remember him saying whatever he had to say. And then I looked at her and I looked at him and I said, everything he just said is a bunch of BS. And I don't want you to pay any attention to what he said. Mm. And when she ended up getting a full ride division one athletic scholarship to any school she wanted, she had tons of offers. He had to come back and eat crow. And I look at those results and that's where my confidence comes from. I didn't always feel confident when they were toddlers because I didn't know. Um, But I know when I made the choice to do what was right for them, when I sacrificed appropriately, and, and that's where that confidence that you're hearing comes from, because I conscientiously took the effort to be a great mom. And to see them have weathered the storm with my husband being in prison. And, you know, for my two daughters, that's their stepdad. Like they don't even have to love him like they do, but they love him powerfully. Mm. And a lot of that is because of how he and I were together and how we uh, modeled to them going through this. And it's made them better people willing to take higher risk. So I just say for you, if you are conscientious about how you raise your kids, I think you're going to have the same type of type of confidence. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to make a point to have my wife, Sarah, listen to this episode with me so we can uh, extract all the wisdom we can. <laughs> now, one thing you did mention when you were talking about that experience with your daughter um, and, the, and the counselor, it made me think of the power of beliefs. 
And I'll, I'll tell a really, really quick story to kind of set some context. But um, I go to a meetup group every Wednesday night. It's a conversation around consciousness. And there was a woman who, who stood up. We share what's called magical moments, which is our abilities to influence ourselves, others in life. And a woman stood up to share a magical moment she had. And her daughter was giving her high school graduation speech. I think she did it earlier that day. Um, her daughter is dyslexic. So she had been you know, diagnosed with a, with a learning disability. And so many people, this is the mom sharing with us, that so many people were telling her that her daughter would not be able to achieve because of her dyslexia. And they were saying, you need to be doing this. You really need to be doing that. She needs to be placed over here. All these different beliefs that they were placing on the mom and, and the daughter around their own fears, their own judgments, their own ignorance, whatever it was. But it was all these beliefs. And the mom did exactly what you did. Turned to her daughter and said, no, none of that is true. You're going to be awesome. You will achieve. And the, the mom basically said, I let her spirit express itself however it wanted to. And that earlier that day, that her daughter was giving the graduation speech at her high school. And it was just one of those powerful, powerful moments. And as you were sharing your story, it made me think of that. It made me think of just belief and, and how impactful beliefs can be, whether they're powerful beliefs or not so powerful beliefs. Like they influence what happens, you know, they influence the results. And so I wanted to share that and sort of tell that little story to go along with what you had said. That is an excellent story. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, yeah, it just, uh, it hits me. And so I do have a couple final questions for you. Man, our time has really flown by. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> so this show is called Having It All. And um, in the context of, of, of this show, I've turned the word all into an acronym for abundant, loving life. And so I am curious what, for you, having it all means. Mm. I'm going to tell you what's interesting. I'm 47. My last child graduated in June. And I live this really weird life where I'm a widow without the divorce. And I have the best husband in the world because I get to make every decision. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I try to use a lot of humor dealing with my thing. Um, so what, when I look back on my life, because I've been on a lot of shows and I get asked these sorts of questions a, a lot. And having it all has evolved over time. So when I was younger, um, having it all meant getting central heating and air, which mm -hmm. meant getting, you know, a degree and getting that safe job that had, um, sick leave. So I could be with my kids and vacation time and, and that sort of thing. And I felt like I had it all. And then when I was single after my divorce and I created and wrote my first book and I started to really become known as a thought leader in the area of divorce, I felt like I had it all. And then when that elevated and I wanted to do bigger and better things and be a speaker and travel all over the world and do different things, when I did it, I felt like I had it all. And then when I met my husband and I thought that we were going to overcome this big oppression that was coming from us, in those moments, I felt like I had it all. And even now where I have a less than ideal situation, I still feel like I have it all. And part of feeling like I have it all, I feel like I have every choice 
before me. And mm. so my life looks so different. When my kids were home, I was super mom. I was all into my kids. My house was the house that everybody came to. And every area of my life was, was intentionally dialed in. And now I have no kids at home. I have no husband at home. I have, you know, income. I have all these choices. So having it all looks different at different phases of my life. I feel like these next 20 years is really going to be about expanding travel, expanding my own mind, expanding my social reach, expanding the way that people look at shame and crisis and how to manage it. And then I, I hope and expect that 20 years from now, having it all is going to be having a house that's paid for in a spot that I love to live very near a Starbucks and that I get to, <laughs> you know, get up and walk my dogs. And that's all I have to think about. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And what I heard you say, um, sort of underlying that was for you, it's also been a, a feeling. It's been a, a, a mindset of having it all because the external expression has shifted and evolved over the years and will continue to do so. But your internal feeling was, it sounded like it was pretty consistent. I love what you're saying. I, even as you said it, I think for me having it all was to have the birth of a new dream or a new desire and then achieving it. Mm. And that gap of time is where I really develop as a person and I take in new information. I, I always call that the meantime. It's the gap between knowing what we want and it coming into our lives and everything that we do in that meantime can shorten the gap. So yeah, I think that what I'm addicted to and love is this, brainchild, whatever that is, and then going and achieving it. Mm, I love that. I love how you use the word birthing. That's a very, uh, it's a very descriptive and it's what we all do, right? We, or what we all are, are capable of doing, of having some sort of idea and, and manifesting it. Yeah, because uh, I believe in the law of gestation, which as mm. your wife is pregnant, you know, there's a gestation <laughs> yes. time. You can't start yelling at her belly at six months and going, where are you? Where are you? Right. That that baby has to be birthed. But there's a gestation period and we don't necessarily know what that is. And we cannot force it no matter how much we want to will that to happen. And I have learned how to let the gestation happen. And when something isn't happening right when I want it, I recognize, oh, I'm trying to scream at that pregnant belly to come out too soon. Uh, so wow. that's how I look at it. That's powerful. And that's, I think that's why it's just being able to uh, recognize that there's a process. And um, one of the things that I like to think about is we can be attached to the outcome or we can be attached to the process, but you can't necessarily have both. So oh, the key though, the key is to be unattached to either one. Uh, yes. That's the key. Because if you're unattached to the outcome, then mm. you can live with whatever happens and you are not validated or denied by the outcome. Oh, I love it. You just, you just stepped up what I was saying. And, and yeah, I like that. I love that. Awesome. Phaedra. Well, I want to ask a final question and, uh, it's really, you know, what, what is the message that you would like to leave myself and the listeners with? Mm. The main message that I want to leave your listener with is I I'm just going to imagine that there's one listener out there who is struggling and they're struggling in some way with feeling like they're not enough or they're hiding something. And the fear of being found out is stopping them from doing the one thing that they know in their heart that they really, really want to do. And I just want to tell that person that if you 
shine the light on the thing. If you actually talk about the thing, it's actually going to set you free and it's going to give you everything that you feel like you want, but you think you can't have. And my video is actually the perfect example of that. My video was me shining a light on the thing. It was my story with my husband and the feelings associated with it. And once I just put it out there and became unattached to those outcomes, people could not like me. They could look at that and think I was a train wreck, or they could look at that and think I was the person that they needed to talk to. I was okay either way. So if you stop hiding and you actually talk about the situation, you are going to find that the shame is not the heavy woolen blanket that you think it is, that the helpers, that the teachers, that the people who care, that have compassion, they will show up because you're now a beacon and they can are drawn to the light. Mm, wow. That was powerful. There's frequently moments in these conversations when I tell people, I tell the listeners to go back and re-listen. Um, and that was one of them. So Go back a couple minutes and re-listen to what Phaedra just said because all of that was uh, was incredible. Um, so Phaedra, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank and you. Where can people go if they want to connect with you, if they want to listen to your podcast, all that stuff? Awesome. So Doing Life with Phaedra is my main site and there's lots of ways to contact me there. One of the things that people love to do is they just want to share their story and I love that. So you can find lots of ways to do that there. Also, another great way to get information from me is to go to crisiscrusher.com. It's my freebie that I only share on my podcast or when I'm a guest on other podcasts. So it's kind of exclusive information. Nice. And it's some downloads, it's some videos. You've heard my voice. Now you can see my face. And it's some great information about what you can do if you're in a crisis or if someone you love is in a crisis. So you can get that there. I'm also really prolific on social media. I'm at Coach Phaedra on Twitter. You and I were chatting early this morning yes, on Twitter. We were. Yeah. And I'm also on Facebook, Phaedra Koenig. I have a fan page and a personal page. So we can absolutely catch up there. Wonderful. That's awesome. And I will have links to all of that, um, including Crisis Crush Crusher in the show notes for everyone to check out. And uh, with that, Phaedra, I just want to extend my gratitude to you and really say thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show, for carving out some time to hang out with me and for opening up and, and going in. And, you know, our conversation was awesome and I cannot wait for people to listen to it and to, uh, to, to hear the feedback from it. So Phaedra, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. You are so very welcome. Two quick things before you leave. First, did you know that the Having It All podcast is a part of the Fireside Network? Yep, we are one of the esteemed shows that calls Fireside Network home. That means if you ever want to listen to a show outside of iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, all you need to do is visit firesidenetwork.com and under shows, select Having It All. From there, you can access all the episodes, see the show notes, learn about my guests, and more. Second, I am very excited to announce that my brand new website is live. Visit MatthewBivens.com and you can learn more about me, get plugged into an accountability group, and pick up some free content like the Abundance Benchmark. I am all about helping you not only identify what your ideal life looks like, but also helping you on your journey towards it. I want you to experience more abundance and love in your life. So, again, you can find out more information about all of that great stuff at 
MatthewBivens.com. Thank you once more for listening to the show, and here is to you having it all. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.